This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Hello and welcome to Dwayne's World. Great to have your company wherever you might be listening around the planet. one 300 is the open line number and it's midday matters time. You call, you get on. one 300 Your calls for the next two hours for midday matters. Keep your texts coming through as well. I'll read a heap of your texts out. 0433981116 is the text machine number for 40 winks. And for temper, T-E-M-P-U-R, temper, T-E-M-P-U-R, get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, serious about sleep, but as I always say, it is Talkback Radio. So want to have a chat to you first and foremost, one 736 about anything in the world of sport you would like to chat about. Manus Labashain to join us later. We'll have a chat to Joel Selwood as well later, who's had the grandstand named after him at Cadenia Park at GMHBA Stadium and well a couple of well, I've just been talking to Jules. One three hundred seven three six seven three six is it a little bit of a, an advantage to Geelong or is it one of the luxuries they've got that some of the Victorian teams especially don't have that they can name a grandstand after one of their icons? I mean it's one of the few grounds around Australia where you can just decide to name a grandstand after your icons. There are not many local venues. I know that the Adelaide Oval have Mark Rusciuto and Gavin Wanganin stands, but there should be a Scott Penelby stand and a Trent Cotchin stand for fans to sit in at the MCG in a perfect world, but there's not, and I know they'll get things named after them. No doubt Trent Cotchin will get a statue at the Punt Road Oval or uh, maybe sometime outside the MCG even, and the AIA Centre will eventually have a Scott Penelby something or other, and a Scott Penelby statue, but uh, it is a bit of an advantage the Cats have got. It's a great honour. It's it's a club that is over 150 years old, Geelong. It's it's the second oldest club, sporting club in Australia. It's one of the oldest sporting clubs in the world. And they have decided to name this giant stand at the city end, the Joel Selwood stand. It's bigger than the Gary Ablett Terrace. It's bigger than the Doug Wade stand and the bigger than the, the Red Chicky stand. Uh, he's arguably the best player they've ever had, best leader they've ever had in over 150 years of footy. It's a huge honour. He'll join us a little bit later on. And, yeah, I mean, they'll be kicking to the Joel Silwood end of GMHBA Stadium for the next 100 years. It is something that is nice that Geelong have that other teams don't have. But then again, one here, hi, Dwayne, wondering if you... Well, we could have a digital sign at the end of the G and Marvel. 
the home team gets to name that each week. Big Roo. And we did that for a while at Marble Stadium. They did do that for a while. The locket and Coventry stands are not up anymore at Marvel Stadium. They took those names down. So maybe that is something the AFL should consider doing. Having a Scott Pendlebury end or having some sort of honour for those players that their home teams play at Marvel and the G and everywhere else around Australia for that matter. Um, They're about to rebuild the Gabba. Maybe there should be. I don't know. Jonathan Brown stand at the newly redeveloped Gabba. But your thoughts on that? one three hundred seven three six seven three six or... 0433981116. A few people saying there should be an Austin McCrabb stand. Um, thanks for that. Keep them coming. Um, John in Reservoir, we'll kick it off with you. John, you're first up. Welcome. Thank you. How, how are you, Dwayne? Good. Good to have me. Thank you. The question I have is now Collingwood's delisted six players and traded two, but got back three. What happens with those other five spots? How do they replenish those? So they can have spots available for training on to the list, John. So you can add during the summer and players will be training with them right now or they've just nominated players to play to train with them. They can add over the summer or the mid-season draft as well. You need a list spot if you want to draft someone in the mid-season draft, John. Okay, so they can just add anyone out from the whole of Australia if they believe that they're good enough, they can just add them onto their list. Yeah, that's not every team can do it, but if you've got a list spot, that's what you've got your list spot available for. So some teams elected not to use a, a pick in the recent draft to keep that list spot available. And it's a pretty clever way of going about it. I mean, you don't really know what you're going to need necessarily mid-season. You might need a ruck, you might need something specifically. So keeping a list spot open even to mid-season, I think it's a pretty good idea. So yeah, that's the reason for that. John, I really appreciate you jumping on and thanks for kicking us off. Uh, Rod in Q, you got a thought on the naming of stands? Welcome to you, Rod. Good day. How are you, Dwayne? Um, Good. What it calls certainly Scott Pendlebury's got. It's got. To, they've got to do something for him. We're talking about one, probably the greatest ever Collingwood player, and a double dual uh, premiership player plus uh, the leading um, leading possession uh, person uh, ever, plus soon to be the most. Uh, games as well. So they've got to do something for that. So whether it's a stand or whether it's something else, but, you know, I mean, he's, he's, he's a legend and a legend of the football club. So to, to be honest with you, they've got to do something there. There's no doubt. I mean, uh, they've got to honour him um, in some way. The G is his home. So that's where it should be. You know, once upon a time we had Victoria Park, but not anymore. The G's the home now. Yeah, it's, it's an honour to be have something named after you at the AIA Centre and at Punt Road Oval. And there are at least AFLW games and VFL games played at Punt Road. So, you know, the Trent Cotchin stand or Jack Rewall stand or whatever they want to call any new stands there that they build or rename some, there is that opportunity for them. But it's not quite the same as a home AFL venue like Geelong has to be able to use to name after their icons. Hey, Rod, hold the line. Got something for you. You've got a heap of stuff to give away today, so I better start giving it away now. You've got a e-gift card, redeemable online or in-store, thanks to the House of Golf, your one-stop shop for all things golf, and we'll talk some golf a little bit later on. one 736 If you've got a thought on this, couple of texts coming through, uh, and there is some jealousy there from people. I mean, as soon as we start talking Geelong and, 
you know, icons like Joel Selwood, uh, Dwayne, nobody but Geelong supporters care about their stadium. At least it's not a construction site anymore and an eyesore to look at during games. Well, it's going to be 40,000, and I can, I can see there's a lot of jealous people out there, and I get that. I mean, why wouldn't you be a little jealous with some clubs? But Collingwood's got no reason to be jealous. Richmond fans have got no reason to be jealous. And one here, I think Richmond would build a statue of Dusty before Cochin. You're probably right. You're probably spot on. Scott Pendlebury and Trent Cochin stand at the MCG, Dwayne. They can do that at Collingwood and Richmond's own grounds. I 100% agree with that. Um, why is there an Olympic stand at the MCG when it wasn't built for the Olympics? Could that be renamed Richie Warnable? It would be nice if that could be something that happens in the future. But it's just my thought. Uh, Jeff in Manor Lakes, you've got a thought on it. Welcome to you, Jeff. G'day, Dwayne. Yeah, just want to talk about stands. I'm absolutely wrapped that Joel Selwood got um, stand named in his honour. You know, been a massive Joel Selwood fan since he came into the AFL. Uh, just with the uh, naming of stands, uh, Melbourne Storm have done it really well at Amy Park. Um, mm. You know, it's a multifaceted venue. Um, they've got the Slater stand and also the Smith stand. But what happens is they're only known as the Slater stand and the Smith stand when Melbourne Storm are playing. When there's other events on, they're taken down. So they, they actually set them up on game day yep. and put them there. So there's no reason why, especially at Marvel Stadium, they can't, like you said, you know, put up signs at each end. Um, there's no reason why at the MCG they can't even... You know, say, okay, well, it's the Olympic stand for the cricket and anything else. But for football, when Collingwood are playing there, it could be the Pendlebury stand. And when Richmond are playing there, it could be the Cochin stand. Yeah, they did it for a while at... there. There was, I think there was a Doug Hawkins wing that the Dogs had on the electronic signage at one stage. And I think Essendon had the Lloyd and Fletcher ends for a while. I don't think they do that anymore. Obviously, Lockett and Coventry... Ends had their names taken down. So there is that opportunity again. One here uh, just on Scott Pendlebury and Trent Cotchin. Come on, Dwayne. Now you're talking rubbish. Name me a grandstand after Trent Cotchin or Scott Pendlebury stand at the MCG. Surely there are other icons of the game more worthy of a stand being named after them. Plus, it's the Melbourne Cricket Ground. Yeah, well, footy pays the bills at the MCG. And footy is still the sport that fills it more often than cricket. I know it's the MCG, uh, it's the Melbourne Cricket Ground, I get that. But Scott Pendlebury and Trent Cotchin are worthy of grandstands at the MCG, or at least a section, or at least a room at the MCG, in my humble opinion, because I think they're, well, I won't say they're equal of Joel Selwood, I think they're all in that that elite bunch. Trent Cotchin, Scott Pendlebury, Joel Selwood, when it comes to leaders and players and you know, human beings that you do want to um, uh, at least keep people understanding how great they were and contributing to their club over a long period of time. So I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put one ahead of the other right now, to be honest. Um, but thanks for your calls and texts on it. Andrew and Romsey, you got a thought on it, Andrew? Yeah, g'day, Dwayne. Um, I'd like something, to, as a Collingwood supporter, obviously, I'd like something to be named after Scott Pendlebury. Uh, I think when you put the stands down, when you put the signs up and down for in honour of players at each end, I think it loses its luster a bit. At Collingwood, we've got nothing. Last century, we won more games than any other team, more finals. We couldn't get anyone in the team of the century, despite Jock McHale uh, coaching twice as many premierships as Norm Smith, despite uh, Coventry kicking twice as many goals as um, 
John Coleman. There's nothing named in, in their honour at all. And, uh, yeah, I think it's about time we got some kind of recognition as a football club because we've got absolutely nothing. Appreciate your call, Andrew. And uh, there's a few on the text saying pretty much uh, some similar stuff. Stephen Melton, you got a thought on this? Welcome to you, Steve. Yeah, hey, Dwayne. I'm just I'm more of the statues at the MCG, which honour uh, performances as, and, and um, extraordinary feats at the MCG. Now, I'm not having a go at the, at the guy, but Jim Steins has got a statue at the MCG. Surely Scott Penelbury, by the time he's retired and within five years of his retirement, he gets a statue at the MCG. Talking about a North a two-time um, um, player, a three-time Anzac Day medal winner, some of the greatest feats and, and games that we've seen in the last 30 years at the MCG, surely he gets at least a statue at the MCG. Yes, yeah, Steve, I don't want to bring Jim Stein's story down at all by using that as the example. I understand why you used it, but I would think that Scott Pendlebury and Trent Cotchin are worthy, and Jim Stein's has certainly given his story is a worthy story for people to look up at Jim Stein's and think, I oh, remember this story, kids, because this is one of the great stories of AFL footy. Now, Trent Cotchin contributed to one club, Scott Pendlebury contributed to one club, but it's still, I think, given how many games that club or those clubs play at the MCG, I think it's still worthy for those clubs to have something like that out the front. And I and I do think, well, I would hope they would rattle that cage. Always great to have your company for Dwayne Todd and for midday matter. Strap out to your calls and your texts. Well, a few texts coming through. Dwayne, your opinion is wrong. No, no, no. To a Cochin or Pendlebury grandstand at the MCG. Grandstands in major grounds. She'll be named after national icons, not some Victorian club footballer, uh, which rules out Ron Barassi as well for a grandstand then, according to your criteria. I'm happy for no grandstand. That's exactly what I'm saying. Joel Silver's going to have this massive grandstand named after him at Cadenia Park. It's something that Collingwood and Richmond don't get to do, name a grandstand after their icons. Yep, they might end up getting a statue. They'll certainly get one out front of the AIA Centre, Scott Penelry and you would think Trent Cotchin or Dustin Martin. Uh, but maybe they'll get one at the MCG. Are they in the same... Is Scott Penelbury going to be up there with guys like Dick Reynolds? He has a statue. Hayden Button's got a statue. KB has got a statue. John Coleman's got a statue at the MCG. Lee Matthews has got a statue at the MCG. Because you can't have a grandstand named after Scott Penelbury at the MCG or Trent Cotchin. They don't have that opportunity, whereas Geelong does. It's their advantage or their, their luxury. And he's going to be on the program a little later on. But well, one here, Billy from Brisbane here, Pipes. Surely Luke Hodge has a better resume than Pendlebury or Cotchin. The stats don't lie. His CV is something really, really special. So maybe Luke Hodge gets the statue before any of them. Um, do something at Punt Road Oval, not the G for Jack and Trent. Yeah, well, obviously some people don't think Trent Cotchin or Scott Pendlebury are up there with the guys like you know Dick Reynolds and Hayden Button. I'm just trying to find out your opinion given that Joel Selwood's joining us a bit later on after the grandstand was named after him today. Uh, second oldest sporting club in Australia, and they're naming the biggest grandstand they've got after their modern-day icon. Um, the Melbourne clubs should try having their own grounds. Uh, yeah, I don't think we can have that. Uh, Dwayne Tigers, Pies, Hawks, etc., etc., traded their spiritual homes for the MCG benefits. Cats stuck fat at Cadinia Park and redeveloped their own home. Now they get the benefits that come with that. Well, you couldn't have Collingwood build its own ground because they'd need 100,000 capacity to get all their fans in. They'd need an 80,000 ground, Collingwood. 
And what's the MCG got to do if all of a sudden Collingwood builds its own ground and Richmond builds its own ground and you don't get those big drawing games at the G? That's what keeps the G alive, the big drawing games like that. So they had to lure Collingwood and Richmond, surely. Uh, uh, and again, Ron Barassi deserves a stand at the MCG over penalty. And Cochin, uh, Dusty, the only one worth a statue. Keep your text coming through. 0433981116 is the text number. 0433981116. Or if you want to dial the number, 1300-736-736. Midday matters for work locker, Karen Downs. And Packenham, unlock Stockton full of value. Work where for wherever you work. Visit worklocker.com.au. Still got a few things to give away as well in the prize cabinet. I better give them a plug. Um, Signet Boost Power Banks, valid at $44.95. A Signet Boost Power Bank will keep your phone, tablet, and earbuds powered 24-7. Family passes to the WBBL Melbourne Stars game on Saturday, November 25 as well. Stars v Renegades at the MCG as part of the WBBL Stadium Series. And 18 holes of golf for you and a mate with a cart. 18 holes of golf for two with drinks and a cart midweek for just $99 available if you visit clubmandalay.com.au. So keep your calls and your texts coming. Uh, state government funding at Geelong, that's come through on the text. Yep, a huge advantage Geelong's got with um, the the want for votes down at the Cattery and it's worked in their favour beautifully. Um, the other, well, there's a few stories emanating today. Uh, one here on the text, uh, Dwayne, wondering if you're going to have the newly appointed global ambassador for the Carlton Football Club on your show today. No, I'm not. Has there been a bigger... Thanks for your text. Uh, The question without notice off the back of that test. Robbie Williams, has there been a global ambassador as big, international ambassador as big as Robbie Williams for an AFL club or for the AFL before? This is the biggest AFL um, celebrity endorsement, I think, ever internationally. But we've got a better one then send the text in or give us a call on that, one three hundred seven three six seven three six 736 736 or 0433981116. It's been amazing for the AFL having Robbie Williams, and they can lock onto this Robbie Williams thing and maybe do some more promos with this around the world because uh, you know, it's not too many people in the world that don't know Robbie Williams. And if he's wearing Carlton jumpers and Carlton, and uh, they did present him, Michael Voss presented him with another Carlton top last night, uh, they haven't had one, I don't think, this big, the AFL before to tap into. It's been huge. But if you've got a bigger one, then by all means, send through a text and we'll give you a prize or give us a call. Peter and Primby's giving us a call. Welcome to you, Peter. Yeah, Dwayne, how are you? Good. And, um, yeah, we were just talking about grounds. I know it's an old chestnut, but um, it's about time they started thinking about redeveloping something like Icon Park, make it like a 15,000, 20,000 seat ground. So you can actually have VFL and AFLW and maybe even a few AFL games there for the clubs like my club, maybe GWS that aren't real drawing power clubs. You could probably, you know, fit the schedule in a bit better. And also, too, like the AFLWs over in South Australia seems to be playing at Norwood. Is it Norwood Oval they play? Is that where they play? Yeah, they play at Icon Park, Peter. The AFLW play at Icon Park. There's another game at Icon Park. A preliminary final this weekend with North Melbourne hosting Adelaide, Peter. So it's a Sunday afternoon game at 3.05, by the way, for those who want to watch it on TV on Fox Footy or get along to Icon Park and watch it. So Icon Park has been redeveloped, Peter. It looks magnificent. It's, I think, been put to good use. I don't think you can ever play an AFL game there because the capacity is too small for a Carlton game, for starters, and it would take games away from the AFL's owned venue in Docklands. But... Your question is, is there 
somewhere that a 15,000-seat stadium could be built. And I, I think Ballarat's kind of heading in that direction. I'd love to see one built, you know, in, in Bendigo or up that way for North Melbourne to play some home games, but that takes games away from Docklands as well. So the answer to your question is yes, Icon Park's already done, but I can't see Carlton playing their home games there. I could see North Melbourne or the Dogs playing home games at a venue like that. Whether they want to play more games in Ballarat, I'm not sure, Peter. Appreciate your call. Um, keep your calls coming through. Robbie Williams did it again. The Coning's in the air. It's become one of the songs sung by a lot of Carlton fans. Uh, is he the biggest international ambassador any AFL club has ever had? And what can the AFL do to continue to tap into it? Because he obviously loves AFL. He loves footy. There's some genuine passion there. He's not just doing it for some weird reason. He's doing it because he actually loves the game and it sounds like he loves Carlton. So, uh, Dwayne, I'd take El McPherson wearing my club jumper over Robbie Williams any day. Andrew, thanks for that. Uh, Gene Simmons and Robbie Williams joined forces to sing the Carlton Club song, fully amped up. Steve from Frankston, maybe they can get Robbie to record a version of the Carlton theme song and play that after every win. That would be, I love that suggestion on the text. Uh, surely Chris Hemsworth is a bigger ambassador. Another one here. How about Eric Banner? Um, thanks for that. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's great to have so many international ambassadors for the AFL right now, but I'm not sure there's been anyone as big as Robbie Williams before. But if you've got a thought, uh, 0433 98 16, or give us a call on that Open line for Midday Madness, one three hundred seven three six seven three six, And I want to ask you this question as well. So it's been confirmed pretty much that Nick Kyrgios is not going to play the Australian Open. It's highly unlikely he'll play. In fact, here's Craig Tiley firstly, an update on Nick Kyrgios and Rafael Nadal playing in the Australian Open in a month's time. And he's obviously wants to do the best he possibly can to give him the best chance to play in January. Nick's position will be determined closer to the event. Anytime we can get Nick, it's great for everyone. The outlook slightly better for Rafael Nadal. Rafa's been training. I follow it closely, probably every day. He's a massive draw card for us and he wants to play. He's 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 obviously planning on playing. It always depends how he pulls up. Craig Tiley on that. So Nick Kyrgios pretty unlikely to play now at the Australian Open. Do you want to hear him on the commentary, is my question to you. Do you want to hear him on the commentary? He could still get a wild card to play. His ranking has slipped to 192 in the world. He hasn't played a Grand Slam this year. Should Channel 9 sign him up? Fans absolutely loved him when he did the commentary at the ATP Finals very recently. He worked with Jim Courier, worked alongside Jim Courier on the Tennis Channel. And I didn't watch it, but apparently he was damn good. So... Should they sign him up, Channel 9? Would you warm to that, Nick Kyrgios doing the commentary? I have heard him do a couple of bits and pieces. He does know tennis. Straight back to your calls and your text from midday. Mattis, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Should Channel 9 sign up Nick Kyrgios? It's unlikely, highly unlikely. He's playing in the Australian Open. He was a big hit on the tennis channel with Jim Courier about a month ago at the ATP Finals. Apparently his commentary was awesome. Would you watch it? Do you want to hear from him? one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Should Nick Kyrgios be signed up by Channel 9 for the coming Australian Open in January? And we'll give away a Signet Boost Power Bank to the best caller, valid at forty four ninety five. Shane in Rayville is on the line. A couple of texts also coming through on 
building new stadia, um, should Hawthorne or St Kilda do something like that? It's a bit difficult for St Kilda because they've already got Moorabbin and it's not quite going to work Moorabbin for an AFL game. They can play a pre-season game there. But Hawthorne might be able to build themselves something like a 20,000-seat stadium, but they're going to fill it to capacity and it's not quite going to work, is it? Having a 25,000-seat stadium at, out by their new development in Dingley. Because, let's face it, in four or five years' time, they probably won't be playing home games in Tassie. They might play one in Launceston, maybe, but I don't think they'll be playing that many in Tassie. Uh, Dwayne Smart plays the Dogs to play three games in Ballarat each year. North shift to Bendigo when Tassie comes in. AFL government should be investing now. Here, well, North is North Melbourne, so I've got no problem with North being north of Melbourne. If you build a decent venue in Bendigo or Shepparton, if you like, or you know, even further north, uh, there's a few suggestions that Albury, Wodonga, Albury could be the spot, which is probably a bit too north for North to be North Melbourne. But Bendigo kind of is in the North Melbourne area, if you like. I know it's a stretch, but it sort of is. North shift to Bendigo when Tassie comes in. Hawks go out to Dandenong area, room for a stadium, possibly linked with the ongoing push for soccer team out there. Saints could possibly buy into the southeast as well, only pay interstate teams at these venues and save all the Melbourne clashes for the two main stadia opportunities for a smaller stadia out there. Yeah, the only problem with that as well is that perhaps, um, we we're talking about it yesterday, the Saints don't get to play the MCG all that much at all anyway. So if you're going to spread their games even more, maybe it works against them. They probably need more games at the G than playing games in boutique venues that house 20,000 in the southeast. But Shane in Roeville has got something completely different on the agenda as we head back to your calls. Welcome to you, Shane. G'day, Dwayne. Yeah, I have got something completely different. Thanks for taking my call. Look, I remain a little bit frustrated with something, and I've, met, I've talked about it with Andrew Gaze before, and that's the WNBL. I, I just think it's a fantastic product. It's just not getting um, what it deserves. And what I mean by that is, like, two weeks ago, we were watching... Uh, we, were, we were direct for the Flyers, and we loved going to the games and watching them. Um, a week and a half ago, it was we were watching it on, on one of the Go channels, and literally it was a draw with 30 seconds to go, and the coverage just cut out. And then um, three minutes later, the WNBL put out an apology, and here you go, you, walk, you can watch the last 30 seconds. The other night, we were watching a game. The Flyers were down by 20 at halftime. They came back and won. It was fantastic. you got Lauren Jackson running around. It's just, it's just a brilliant competition. And then here we are, just before three-quarter time, a girl shoots the ball, and it gets and as the buzzer goes, and the umpire waves it away, which she's entitled to do. And then the replay showed that she actually got the shot up before, before the um, ball had gone in. Um, but we don't review it. We don't look at it. You know, if that's wow. the NBL, and it's a, if that's the NBL on the boys, we look at it, we get the right decision, everyone, everyone moves on. We've got the coverage there. We've got these girls that play at a very high level, and I just get a little bit frustrated that I feel like the girls are, are treated as third-class citizens compared to the boys with, with basic things like that that should be better. Well, Shane, the difference is that the NBL is a privately-owned competition. Larry Kesselman owns it. He can do what he likes. If he wants to spend a million dollars on technology, then he can spend a million bucks on technology. Uh, he, he can do whatever he likes because he owns that competition and he essentially owns the teams before he sells them off. He doesn't own the WNBL, so it's not you can't compare it because, well, maybe Larry Kesselman should buy the WNBL or maybe Basketball Australia should court Larry Kesselman to take over the WNBL and give it the same love because obviously it needs money and it needs that Larry Kesselman 
kind of love. Yeah, I, I agree. I just think that, you know, these are highly class female athletes competing mm. and, and they've shown internationally how well they complete, compete. And I, I wasn't aware of that. So thank you for making that point. And yeah, I'd encourage him to buy it. So at least when we're, we, we can watch the coverage equally and, and we can get the right results when, um, you know, that should occur. Thankfully, they went, ended up winning by two points. But as you know, you follow the basketball, you know, a simple mistake like that can cost you a game. And um, they deserve a bit better than that. Yeah, look, to be honest, the NBL was where the WNBL is all those years ago, eight years ago before Larry Kesselman bought it. And that's the beauty of Larry buying it. I mean, he's reinvigorated it. He's turned it into the behemoth that it is huge now, the NBL. But the NBL was just about dead. And Larry resurrected it, thankfully. Private ownership does that. I mean, he, he, wants to, he loves the, the sport. But he also obviously saw it as an investment in the future, and it's a it's a great payoff that he's getting now. So that's where the WNBL is right now. I mean, should Larry buy it? Should the should Basketball Australia spend more money on it? That's the hard part. Where do they get their money, and do they invest that kind of money in the WNBL if they're not getting the result back for TV revenue, etc.? Michael in Belgrave, welcome to you, Michael. Hello. Yeah, great to have you on, Michael. By the way, if you've got a thought on the WNBL and Larry Kesselman buying it, by all means, send through a text or give us a call on that. Welcome to you, Michael. Yeah, how you going? Good. That's good. Um, I've been doing the Murray River Canoe Marathon for a long time. Like I've done 32 of them. And um, this year, like in single canoe, a lady has beaten all the men on one day and it's a, like on scratch, over 91 kilometres. Um, I don't know if something like that's been done before. Has a lady beaten men over 400 metres at the top level? I mean... I'm not sure. Man, well, it's a, it's a, it's a strength-based yeah. sport as well, Michael. So that's a phenomenal achievement. Yeah, to me it was like she's broken the four-minute mile or broken the um, two-hour barrier on a marathon. It was 91 kilometres and she beat him scratch and there was not good tactics. The men, the men were sooking. And <laughs> Joanne Hamilton Vale, whose husband manages or works on a V8 racing team in Queensland, so they know top-level sport. And this lady is, I don't know, five foot nothing, beautiful smile, 55 years old as well. Wow. And she's... And she's cleaned up the men, and I wasn't racing. I'm, I'm crook, but I'm not racing this year. But if I was racing, I reckon I'd beat her. But if I didn't beat her, I'd be, I'd be doing what I'm doing right now, buzzing and saying, this has got to be in the newspaper. She's got to be on the news. I sent you guys an email. I am so excited because I've never seen anything like this. To me, it's, it's like um, Maxwell hitting that 201 when I missed hmm. out on because he did it too late at night. <laughs> yeah. Michael, that's what Midday Madness is all about. I mean, you call, you get on. Anything in the world of sport you'd like to discuss, I say it at the top of the show every day. People often send me a text, oh, why aren't you talking about this? Why aren't you talking about soccer? Why? Well, give us a call and we'll talk about it, Michael. So put her name out there again, Michael, and uh, let's give a little bit more love to one of the great performances. Yeah, I was doing the email because the modern way you have to do everything by email. And I was waiting for an email. I said, I'm going the old-fashioned way, dude. I've got to ring you up because you're, yep. you're missing out on something that's never happened in... In this event, it's never happened ever, and there's no... She came from Scotland six years ago and did it on a stand-up paddleboard, and she's come back six years later in a single bit of blood, so she's acclimatised to our climate, and she's given us a what for, and it's like, 
I'm going to contact the papers next, but she's she's just a jet. Great stuff, Michael. Really appreciate the call. Hold the line. We've got something for you. Uh, maybe because you're talking sport, uh, women's sport, we've got a family pass of the WBBL, Melbourne Stars game on Saturday, November 25. So Stars v Renegades at the MCG as part of the WBBL Stadium Series. And quite a few coming through saying what a fantastic call. Good on you, Michael. Hold the line. couple of texts about Nick Kyrgios. Uh, honestly piped how long before Kyrgios would say something ridiculous and get thrown off air. But, I mean, maybe the honesty that Nick Kyrgios would give is what we're all wanting. I mean, maybe something a little bit more out of left field for the commentary would be perfect. Uh, don't bother with the celebrity stuff, Dwayne. This is in relation to, has there been anyone bigger than Robbie Williams to promote our game and promote a, an AFL club? It's meaningless and comes and goes like the weather. I'd rather be a quality club, which Carlton continues to struggle with. That's from Craig. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're looking at it the wrong way, Craig. I, Carlton's a progressive club right now. They're on the doorstep of... Uh, a huge opportunity to win a flag or two. And having Robbie Williams jump on board just adds to the momentum. I think it's great. But, yeah, fair enough. If you want to poo-poo it, I get that. Uh, Nick Kyrgios should, should replace one of the Woodies. Uh, thanks for that. No, He's he probably going to be pretty good if they get him. Um, Kyrgios is a great commentator. He's also got a protected ranking of 21. So he will get a wild card if he wants to. But... He wouldn't be able to win the tournament. Hasn't played a Grand Slam all year this year. No, Channel 9 should not sign up. Kyrgios, the guy can't speak. I think that's important in commentary. He can speak pretty well, I reckon. He's just uh, a little terse sometimes. Uh, No, no interest in Kyrgios. Thanks for that. Quite a few of those texts coming through as well. Um, And Dwayne, call me grumpy, but I just cannot embrace international celebrities pretending to love AFL and a powerful club. It's clearly just a cheesy PR exercise. We should not give them any recognition. They're faking it. That's from Don. I don't think Robbie Williams is faking it. I reckon he's honest. He liked being here for the grand final to play the big stage halftime event. I think he's genuine. He wouldn't be singing De Konings in the air at concerts if he wasn't a genuine blues fan. But, uh, yeah, I get the cynicism out there. There's a bit of that as well. Um, one here, Ange is also a big... Big blues fan, tiring, tiring, sorry, tying in with the song Robbie Williams did about Big Ange. Cheers, Tommy Docklands, who went to both Robbie shows and had the privilege of meeting the king, Robbie Williams. Thanks for that. See, there's a few coming through saying he does love it. Maybe Big Ange, well, speaking of Big Ange, uh, there's another question without notice for you straight after the break. Um, I was going to probably address this next week sometime. Is Ange Postacoglu, Mr. Lovable, coach of Tottenham, our sports person of the year? Who is Australia's sports person of the year? It's either Ange or Pat Cummins right now. Pat Cummins retained the Ashes, won the 50-over World Cup. He won the World Test Championship. Uh, is it Pat Cummins or Ange? Who's our Australian sports person of the year? Sam Kerr didn't quite have the World Cup she hoped for, injured, and she kicked one legendary goal, but didn't play a bit of it. Um, Cam Smith, most money probably won by any sports star on the world stage, but thanks to Liv, of course, but not doing so well in Queensland uh, right now. And we'll check in with what's happening at the Australian PGA later. Who is it if it's not Ange or Pat? And who is it? Is it Ange or Pat? Thanks for your text on Ange. Always love your calls and your texts for Midday Matters. Another big hour of Midday Matters to come. Who is Australia's sports person of the year? Is it Ange Postacoglu or is it Pat Cummins? You can give us a call and make a case for either Ange 
He's Mr. Lovable Ange, but Pat Cummins, I think, has now moved into that territory as well. I think he's pretty much universally loved for what he's been able to achieve as Australian cricket captain. Uh, retained the Ashes, won the 50-over World Cup, won the World Test Championship. So make your case, one 736 736 Ange, Pat, or someone else that uh, I haven't got at the top of the list. A couple of texts have come through on it, and we'll hit your calls as well across the 1 o'clock news. Uh, Sports Person of the Year is Travis Head. He'll have a statue outside the Adelaide Oval. Thanks for that. Um, from Brett Dwayne. It doesn't matter what the public say about Nick Kyrgios, whether he's playing or not. The Australian sports media are going to keep shoving him down our throats anyway because he's divisive and you guys in the media just love shoving him down our throats because of that very reason, to poke the sport-loving Aussie public. Yeah, Brett, uh, I can understand your cynicism sometimes about talkback radio. I get that. I understand that, but he has been in the news the last 24 hours, and Craig Tiley did speak about him yesterday. So he is actually in the news, in the Herald Sun, and in the age, the fact that it's unlikely he'll play at the Australian Open, and there has been a lot of talk about his commentary in recent times. G'day, Dwayne. Australian Sports Person of the Year is definitely Ange Postacoglu, Scottish Premier League and Scottish Cup winner with Celtic, into his impressive start at Tottenham, winning three EPL Manager of the Month awards already. He's a winner. No matter where he goes, Jack, in Turnside Park. Keep your text coming, 0433-981116 on that 40 Winks temper text, 0433-981116. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, serious about sleep. Um, hey, Dwayne, hope you're good, although he would undoubtedly be a draw card as a commentator. Do we really need to hear from a Pratt like Kyrgios? Um, he's just been so disrespectful in the past. Greg in Caulfield South, well... There's been a number of icons of tennis and world sport that were a little bit um, upsetting the way they carried on early. John McEnroe's an example. Now, we love John McEnroe's commentary. Um, Andre Agassi was a little annoying at times early on, but Andre Agassi has become one of the guys that people love to hang on every hang off every word. So um, maybe Nick Kyrgios could be the next guy like that, even though he doesn't have the grand slams that those guys have. Dwayno, Robbie Williams is a true Carlton fan. He posts quite a lot, and I'm not a Carlton supporter. Pat Cummins is behind. Travis Head, Caitlin Ford, if we were looking at the Matildas, and Josh Giddy would have to get a look in as well. Keep your text coming through. And your calls coming through for more Midday Madness. Always great to have your company for Dwayne's World. Let's head straight back to your calls for another big hour of Midday Madness. one 736 is the open line number. If you'd like to join me, anything in the world of sport you'd like to discuss, dial that number. We will get you on for the next hour. Marnus Labashade to join us later. Joel Selwood, who's had the massive new grandstand at Caninia Park, named after him also to join us a little later on. Alan in Sydney is on the line. We'll go to you first. Alan... You can send through your texts as well, 0433981116. But uh, it is Talkback Radio. I'd rather have a chat to you, so let's do it in the next hour. Alan, uh, thanks for holding. Welcome to you. Yeah, pleasure to talk to you again, Dwayne. Um, last night, Sam Kerr against Paris FC in the Women's Champion League. And Paris FC, from my memory, and you've got to remember I'm 81, it's not as yeah. good as it used to be. I think they won it last year. And she's kicked three goals. She is not the best Australian. She's the best female player in the world. So she should be our sports person of the year this year, Alan? I 
absolutely. She, she is head and shoulders above anybody in any other sport. We're talking about in the world. She's, she's beaten everybody when she played over in America and her coach is leaving to go to America and, you know, she's unstoppable. She's just, you know, she's, she's, she's five times better than what her brother was and he won <laughs> a premiership. Yeah, Daniel could play all right, but uh, you're right about Salma. There's a couple of texts coming through. One here, another Sam Kerr hat-trick overnight. Pipe, her goal in the World Cup semi-final was the greatest sporting moment of the year, and it probably was the greatest sporting moment of the year outside of what the Australian cricketers just did to win the World Cup against India in India. But uh, it's nice that you've put up that kind of tribute to her, Alan, because it is easy to forget how phenomenal she is on the world stage, given that women's soccer probably doesn't get as much love on the world stage outside of the World Cup as it should. Wonderful. Thanks. Enjoy the show, mate. You have a nice weekend. And you, Alan. Great to have you call, as always. If you've got a thought, Alan says Sam Kerr. Is it Ange Postacoglu, Pat Cummins, Sam Kerr? Uh, make your case, one three hundred seven three six seven three six, and we'll find a couple of prizes for you. You've got a few Signet Boost Power Banks to give away, forty four ninety five. A Signet Boost Power Bank will keep your phone, tablet, and earbuds powered 24-7. couple of texts that have come through, uh, well, a few on, well, Sam Kerr especially, which I love. Um, one here, I love Kyrgios. If he can't play, then get, then get him on TV. Paul, so there's a few coming through with a bit of love for Nick Kyrgios. Um, Oscar Piastri is an our sports person of the year this year, but you can guarantee he will be in the next few years, going to be a star. He is going to be a star. And he's got that uh, a bit of lovability as well, just like Sam Kerr, just like Ange Postacoglu. And it's going to hold him in good stead, I think, for a long, long time in the sport. Um, Dwayne, the Murray Bush Rangers contribute regularly to the AFL draft. How about a stadium upgrade and some games up this way? Dave from Albury. There's been a few supporting your thoughts, Dave, after I read that text out earlier on, so I appreciate it. Uh, and the Carlton, the most overrated team in history, they won't make the eight this year as they have a harder draw, which wouldn't be hard after last year's leg up. Brian from Dramana. Yeah, Brian, it sounds like you're a little worried that Carlton might actually be half decent this year. Jeff in Adelaide, welcome to you, Jeff. G'day, Dwayne. Hey, um, in my, Sam Kerr and the Matildas have been my favourite Australian sports person and team for about five years now. And hearing that other gentleman talk, I, it, it's just so obvious and the, the way the team plays their commitment um, and to be honest there's no controversy you admire them for, for every reason why you admire sports so I, I just had to get on and reiterate what he just said um, and the obvious thing is she's playing at the highest level and it is the world sport it's not a bit sport or what we play here in Australia. So I, I just want to reiterate that. So over, Ange Postacoglu as well. And there's one text here. I love Ange, but how can he be Australia's sports person of the year when he's not representing Australia, even as the coach, and he's not actually representing or competing for Australia. He's not coaching um, Australia. Cannot be sports person of the year here in Australia. Um, if Justin Lang had decided to coach England and they won the Ashes, won the World Cup, would he be... So, uh, yeah, there's a few saying that it shouldn't be Ange. So you've got Sam Kerr as number one and Daylight second pretty much, Jeff. 
I do. Actually, a little aside on that. Um, I love Ange, and I love the fact that he took on the establishment, and it's my way or the highway. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but the Matildas, I think about six years ago, took on Soccer Australia and threatened to go on strike. And the where they are now is because they had enough guts to take on the establishment. So there's actually there's there's a there's a, a critical <laughs> strong thing there, but no, for me it would still be Sam. Great to have you called, Jeff. Thanks for your contribution. We've got a Twitter poll up. If you want to jump on the line, that's what Midday Madness is all about. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. You call, you get on. We've got a Twitter poll up. Who is Australia's sports person of the year? Is it Ange Postacoglu? Is it Pat Cummins? Um, my producer Mitch has thrown in Mary Fowler because he thought that Mary Fowler's performance in the World Cup was probably the standout performance overall. So at the moment, it's running Ange Postacoglu forty-five percent, Pat Cummins thirty-nine percent, Mary Fowler ten percent, and other. 6%. And there are a few others in that bracket as well. Cam Smith's had a pretty good year. In fact, we'll get a goal score very shortly after the break. Uh, we'll check in with the Australian PGA. Do you want to read a few more texts out and take a few more calls, though? A couple of texts that have come through. Um, Punt Road is to be half rebuilt shortly. Um, and that's the Punt Road Oval you're talking about. Why don't the AFL throw them $100 million and they'd have a 25,000-seat venue in the heart of everything? Craig... Um, it'd be great, but would Rich- Richmond wouldn't play their home games there. You're better off building a 25,000-seat venue, I think, in an area that is going to benefit the team that's going to play there most. Richmond's too big for a 25,000-seat venue as their home venue to play games there, I think. So I'd be more inclined to build it in Bendigo or uh, to somewhere where the dogs can you know, have an enhanced venue in Ballarat, perhaps. That's what I'd probably do- be doing. Ballarat's, what, an hour and ten from Melbourne, Bendigo's about an hour and a half from Melbourne, so it'll probably work there. Um, keep your text coming through. I oh, one text from yesterday as well. Uh, thanks for the Liam Fawcett interview the other day. What a great kid. Tigers backing themselves will be interesting. Most in the media suggest they will be dropping big time. We will see. Thanks, Craig. All those interviews that we've done with the Young Guns are on the website at the moment as well. So if you want to download the Dwayne World podcast or... Check those interviews out. They're all on the website as well. David in Hobart, you got a thought on Sports Person of the Year? Yeah, I reckon Jessica Fox, um, Dwayne. Um, she's Olympic champion. Um, what's she been? This is a qualified for a fourth Olympics, I think. And um, she's won that many um, um, gold medals and um, world championships. I reckon she'd be well up there. Yeah, I had that come through on the text. So one of our greatest canoers of all time, David, there's no doubt that probably next year this time we'll be talking about someone who did the job at the Paris Olympic Games as being our sports person of the year. But uh, you're right, it's probably off the radar a little bit, canoeing. It's certainly not on the radar here, but that's the beauty of midday madness. You call, you get on, anything you'd like to discuss. And I'm glad you gave a little bit of love canoeing's way and Jess Fox's way. Yep, no worries, mate. Really appreciate you calling, David. Uh, Rob in WA, welcome to you, Rob. Yeah, g'day, Dwayne. How are you going? Good. Good. Mate, just want to refer you to, um, you may have seen it, um, Mark Duffield's article he put up recently talking about the um, NGA Academy for the draft and how these northern teams and expansion teams are getting these uh, better setups where they don't have to... Um, uh, um, if players fall within the first 40, um, basically they get them. And other teams that have NGA academies have to um, 
basically um, it's a different pathway for them where they just don't get that access to those players um, if they fall yeah. in that first 40 selection and how that's so such a, an uneven playing field. And you're going to see WA teams in particular probably stop putting so much effort into those NGA academies because they've lost three or four or five players recently that are really great players that are, that are great players because they've come through those academies and it's just, it doesn't stack up. It's just an unfair um, position to, for the AFL to manage it the way they have. Do you think they're going to look at that? Do you think that's likely to change? Well, look, I, I do think the West Coast Eagles could have traded up in the draft and, and had a better crack at Dan Curtin. So, I mean, they could have traded players. Maybe they don't have any players that anyone else wanted, but they could have traded players to get the draft picks as well. Rob, I mean, how much of it is is the the system working against the West Coast and how much is, is it the West Coast not doing enough to help themselves? Yeah, so they offered pick one next year for Curtin and I think a mm. second-round pick, which didn't match up against Adelaide's, I think, two mid-first-round picks, 10 and 11 or 12 or 14 or something like that. Um, but don't, what do you think about that? Like Frio had it with Motlop, where basically yeah. the better they make the player, it works against them for that. So do they hide these players? Do they just not try and get them good once they get a perception that they're going to be good players to try and get them outside 40? So, Rob, there's a balance there, isn't there? Because I, I'm of the belief that if you're a South Australian, it, it would be great if you've got a chance to stay in your home state. If you're from WA, it would be great if you've got a chance to stay in your own state. But there's so many teams in Victoria that the Victorian... Um, system can't survive if Victorian teams are only getting players out of Victoria and WA is getting a heap of the WA kids first and SA is getting a heap of the SA kids first and then Tassie comes in and they get all the Tassie kids and now you've got the academies in the north. That's the hard part, Rob. There's a few in Victoria that want to go back to the zone system. So divide Victoria up into zones and you get first choice of your zone player, just like WA would get first choice divided by their two clubs. I just can't see the Victorians ever allowing WA more access to the WA boys, Rob, because uh, so many kids come out of WA and it might make, well, the fear is that it'll make the West Coast too strong. But the balance has tipped a bit against you in recent times, Rob. The, the number of players coming through WA that have hit AFL in recent times isn't quite as big as the number was when you were dominating the Teal Cup. Yeah, yeah. And so just to be clear, I'm certainly not West Coast supporter. I'm the purple um, yeah, from the from the west, mate. But um, how how broke do you think the draft is at the moment, Dwayne? How compromised do you feel it is? Because I watch it, and like this year with the amount of academy father son and all these kind of things, it mm. just seems so far removed from what it originally was intended as an equalisation measure. Yeah, I don't think it's broke all of a sudden just because the Gold Coast, for the first time ever, had some advantage and kept all their kids. I mean, I, I've said this a few times this week, but. I think it's a better system when the Gold Coast get, get to keep their kids when the Gold Coast, after 13 years of being uncompetitive and not being a chance to you know, play finals and do some damage in finals, they've missed the finals for 13 years in a row, when they finally might keep some kids after losing them left, right and centre for years and years and years or their draft picks, and finally they might pull a crowd. So you know, I want that to happen for the Gold Coast. But I can also see Fremantle's argument, Rob, in that you've been in the comp 29 years and haven't won a flag yet. Yeah, mate. So... You watch, I mean, Gold Coast is going to be exciting and amazing to watch with these guys, these elite guys there. But I look at how much the AFL is facilitating their success. It's like buying it. Mm. And they're taking for granted Fremantle's 60K membership 
to say, well, we love you and we appreciate your support, but we're not in, interested in equalising to allow you guys to have a, a reasonable crack at it. We're just, because we, we know you're going to be there every year and stumping up money to support the system. However, we yeah. want Gold Coast to succeed. So here we go. Uh, Damien Hardwick, well, But, but the in. Gold Coast have never succeeded, Rob. No team on the Gold Coast has ever succeeded. The, the, the Bears were there and didn't succeed. They played finals, but they didn't succeed. They died. So the, if we want a national competition, we have to embrace the Gold Coast just like we embraced the entry of Fremantle and Port Adelaide coming in. I mean, I, I think we're jumping at a shadow here with the Gold Coast. They haven't been successful yet. Yeah, they're getting some local kids. And it depends on how you want to look at it. Do you want to look at it as if, well, the AFL's invested all this money and what a waste it is that we've tipped all this money down the drain on the Gold Coast? Or should we look at it now and actually celebrate the fact that finally there's a return on the investment that they've put in there and kids are playing footy left, right and centre on the Gold Coast and they're getting local kids playing? Yeah, that's awesome. It's just when they lift the cup up, which is going to be a, a bit of a, a bittersweet moment to watch from a Fremantle perspective. Yeah. Is it a bit yep. too early, though, to be jumping at that shadow when they lift the cup up? They've got to make the finals first, don't they, Rob? I mean, there's no guarantee all these kids they've got are going to be any good. They're not all going to be Scott Pendlebury's and Matthew Pavlich's, you wouldn't think. I mean, there's a chance that some of them don't end up being superstar so you know i don't think it's the shadow that we need to jump at just yet and say oh the whole thing's thing's stuffed because the gold coast are going to win flag after flag they're going to make the finals first rob yeah i'm backing them to make finals and within the next four years i reckon they will win a premiership with what they've got we thought that with the giants too everyone said oh the giants are going to win three flags in a row they've been given so much when they came in and they still haven't won a flag. Yeah, they played in the grand final, at least. Look, I can feel your pain, Rob, because Fremantle's pain is the same pain that St Kilda supporters are feeling. There's a lot of that about, hey, what about us? You know, we've been struggling for a long time. We haven't won one yet. So, But I, as I said a number of times on this program, um, give us a call when the Gold Coast have won two flags in a row and they've got too much going their way. That's when I think that we need to say, well, maybe it's broken to the point that it needs to be fixed, but... It ain't broke just yet because they got a whole heap of local kids out of this draft for the first time and might draw a half-decent crowd and be competitive for the first time. But it's good to have that debate with you, Rob. I really appreciate the chat. Uh, thanks for jumping on. Shane on the road. Again, Northern Academy's on the agenda. Welcome to you, Shane. Hey, Dwayne. Look, uh, I just want to say to all the, everyone out there that's having a bit of a crack about the Northern Academies and this and that, I'm a Swan supporter and you have a look at... We've been up there 40 years and... You know, we've had the likes of Heaney and Mills and Gould and, you know, a couple others, but we've had two premierships in 40 years. So the, the, a lot of people, I think, are wide of the mark about how um, much influence these Northern Academies have on the actual clubs. They're there to have a bigger pool of players for the national competition. And, and that's, that's what it is, and it's fantastic. Whether it's Gold Coast... Now, I think that, you know, um, Fremantle and, and West Coast should have a small academy as well, That, however that works. But it's all still a national national competition, and they all still go into national And everyone's invested in their team and what their team needs and the disadvantages that their team have to overcome, including Fremantle. It's a football state. But they still haven't won a flag in 29 years. So you can understand Fremantle fans rattling the cage saying, gee, that'd be terrible if all of a sudden the Gold Coast 
end up winning two flags. But again, they haven't won anything just yet. Uh, David in Munda, Eric in Doncaster. I'll get to you. After, in fact, Eric in Doncaster, I'll get to you before the break. You there, Eric? Yeah. How are you, mate? Um, Good. Nice here. Nice to hear from you. Um, firstly, with um, uh, Postacoglu, some yep. guy said, oh, well, um, you know, he hasn't represented Australia, so it shouldn't be Australian Sportsman of the Year. Whose fault was that? I think it was the media, Robbie Slaters and Graham Arnold that backstabbed him when he was um, coaching Australia. And number two, um, the MCG, how about they look after their patrons before looking after the football players. I fell over at the grand finals, nearly split my head open. Because I'm after ambulance fees, because I, I slipped over at that ground um, during the GWS Collingwood game, they put me through hell to come up for evidence that it happened when there's reports and everything else, but their insurance company won't... Um, look after that because they're not there to represent me. They're there to represent the MCG. How about that? Yeah, Eric, that's a personal story that I know nothing about. It's understandable if you want to put that up there because it's a fight that you're fighting at the moment. I get that. Um, but obviously, given I don't nothing about it, didn't see it, uh, don't know the circumstance, I can't comment on it. But I appreciate your call. And it's out there now for everyone to hear and hopefully... Uh, you at least get a hearing. David in Mernie, you there, Dave? Thanks for holding. Yeah, g'day, Dwayne. Uh, good to chat with you. Look, uh, I just wanted to bring up uh, the sports person of the year. And uh, I, I also think it goes what goes on the field and also what uh, happens off the field. And I think due to all the adversity that uh, Pat Cummins has gone through this year, uh, he's sort of also been a shining light for uh, all Australians, I think. So I think Pat Cummins... Uh, Probably, you know, a nose ahead. Uh, you've got to remember, the young fellow also lost his mum, which is quite a challenging thing for anybody to go through. So I think um, he's the one the highest up on the pedestal at the moment. He'd be my number one as well, David. So thanks for your call. Hold the line. We've got something for you. You've got a heap of stuff to do to give away. Uh, you've got a Signet Boost Power Bank valued at $44.95. A Signet Boost Power Bank will keep your phone, tablet and earbuds powered 24-7. Got a few of those to give away. Marnus Labashane still to come and Joel Selwood still to come, but it's at Royal Queensland, the PGA of Australia, and Minwoo Lee is dominating at the moment. Tony Webbick, PGA of Australia senior writer and Australian Golf Digest writer at the Australian PGA Championship. Joins us thanks to Toolkit Depot, tools, equipment, safety gear and workwear. Welcome back, Tony. Great to have you on. Hey, Dwayne. Good. Thanks for having me. So uh, Minwoo Lee, I think, uh, has played five today in his second round, looking pretty good. Yeah, he's uh, off to a nice start, birdie the first, which is always a nice settler when you're sitting on the lead overnight, or near the lead, I should say. But, uh, yeah, another birdie at the third, so currently got a nice little one-shot advantage early in his uh, second round. How's Joe Moscatel going, the overnight leader? He's got 10 minutes until he tees off, so he's watching okay. all these guys make birdies this morning and trying to work out he was going to, how he's going to keep pace with them. So um, it'll be interesting this afternoon to see how how Joel handles the occasion. There's a massive crowd out here today, so um, he'll feel that energy and, yeah, we'll be interested to see how he responds to it. Adam Scott, he's uh, early in his round as well. Yeah, he just made another birdie here at the par four six, so he's now up to eight under and just one off the lead. So it's shaping up for a really nice weekend. If Minwoo... 
Adam Scott, and we've got Lucas Herbert and Curtis Luck also up there at eight under. So if those four Aussies are going toe-to-toe over the weekend, that's going to be very fun to watch. And a nice little sprinkling of international guys as well that um, should make for compelling viewing, I'd say. So Cam Smith was, what, two over yesterday? Uh, he's in a bit of danger if he doesn't get it going today. Yeah, it still looks like it's a struggle for Cam at the moment. He's, he dropped a shot just before to drop to three over. So um, we're looking at a cut line of around either minus one or even par. So he's got some work to do if we're going to see Cam over the weekend. It, it's not The swing doesn't look like it's sort of functioning the way he would normally like it. So he's had a couple of putts come up to short too. So the frustration continues for Cam, but um, he knows his way around here. If something, something can click on the back nine, then... Um, we hold out hope that he can uh, fight his way through to the weekend. So who else is playing well? But some of the names that people would know really well, uh, Rob Pampling had a five-under opening round, Mark Leishman a three-under opening round, Joachim Neiman a three-under opening round as well. Who else is, is in contention right now? Yeah, well, Rob Pampling's had a difficult day today. He's shot 74, three-over, so he's sort of down near that cut line again. Um, Lucas Herbert had a bit of a shaky start. He was three-over through five holes this morning, but... Um, really fired up on the on his back nine, which was the front nine here at Royal Queensland, and um, he's got himself into eight under. Um, David Michelucci, our reigning order merit champion, he's sitting pretty well placed at tied for seventh. And then you've got guys like Mark Leishman, um, Elvis Smiley hanging in there as well. Mark Leishman's had a nice round today at 69, so he's tied for 11th and not too far off the off the mark. So, um, yeah, we're just waiting to sort of see a few international visitors sort of make, make themselves known a bit more. It's sort of Dominated by the Aussies right now, but we've got Kiwi Daniel Hillier up there. Um, a few of the Japanese players doing well. Robert McIntyre is still at three under from Scotland. So, um, yeah, we've got a sprinkling of international flags still on the leaderboard there. And how is the, it looks like the conditions are magnificent. How is it looking like playing this afternoon? It's, the wind is getting up a bit, so um, it'll be interesting to see how that impacts the afternoon groups. Uh, as the morning groups are finishing, you can feel it strengthening and uh, gusting quite quite heavily at some point so that will uh, that will test the afternoon feel but there's so many people out here the energy is kind of I, I think it's the biggest of PGA crowd we've seen for quite a while uh, we thought last year was big with Cam coming home but the general vibe around the tournament this afternoon is that it's even bigger again this year so we've already had a hole in one of the party hole too this morning so if we can get another one of those this afternoon the place might just you might feel it down there and what's the what does the player with the hole in one win today, or would have to wait to the weekend? Well, the general consensus, especially from Lucas Herbert, was that he should shout everyone a few beers at the Southern Comfort Party Shack <laughs> uh, when when play's done today. But Curtis Luck, the West Australian, um, had a, a hole in one earlier this morning. Um, wasn't a big crowd there on hand for that, but um, nice to get our first hole in one at the party hole in the books, and uh, it's shown that. I guess it's in a good spot today that it's accessible. So we'll have some of our best players in the world having a crack at it this afternoon and um, expecting it to be expecting it to be pretty rowdy this afternoon. Do you like rowdy golf, Tony? It seems the way of the future. I do, yeah. Like in, in its, you know, in, in small doses, I think it's um, as long as everyone's relatively restrained when it comes to kind of... I'm not sure about throwing beers onto the green. I think that's yeah. the greatest look for the game and it kind of holds play up. And um, But it, it's become a real focal point of this tournament, somewhere people can come, spend a few hours, um, really enjoy the atmosphere and 
Um, and the players feed off it. The players like it. So um, I don't think we'll see party hole every three holes in the near future, but I think it's certainly become a real feature of this tournament and, and of course, other tournaments around the world. Great to have you, Tony. I really appreciate you jumping on and uh, we'll have a chat to you again maybe on Monday for Toolkit Depot. Black Friday sale is on now, in-store and online. Ends November 27. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Wayne. Tony Webbick, PGA of Australia, senior writer and Australian Golf Digest writer at the Australian PGA Championships. Joining us, thanks to Toolkit Depot. Quite a few texts have been coming through. Let me read out a few texts. One here, the Swans call are lamenting that the Swans have only won two flags in 40 years. Conveniently left out the additional grand finals they have played in during this period and that they also play finals virtually every year. Uh, Laugh out loud, J-Dog. Yeah, the other thing, though, is also that they still have to win them at the MCG. So maybe that's brought them back to the pack a little, even though they could have been a lot stronger and had a lot more flags. I take your point. Uh, Ari, the Northern Academies, remember when the Giants were formed, a lot of chatter that they did way too well with the draft priorities. Some of my mates said they may as well just hand them the next three premierships. It hasn't happened. Brian, uh, yeah, and I don't think the Gold Coast shadow is one that we need to be jumping at just yet. Uh, two in 40 years is above average. That's from Craig. Yeah, it is. That's true. But one every 18 years would be handy if the AFL could get it right, given there's 18 teams in the comp. Um, Dwayne, Ari Punt Road, AFLW, VFL, 25,000 would be perfect. I'm biased, though. Ben from Eltham uh, on the stadium build. What about the showgrounds for North and the Western Bulldogs? Seems like, like the Bulldogs are pretty keen on nailing down Ballarat, but uh, I don't mind the showgrounds as an idea, to be honest. Dwayne, I'm a mad tennis fan, but will never watch a game for which Nick Kyrgios is commentating. So thanks for that. Uh, got a few of those coming through as well. And another one here, Dwayne, the WNBL deserves more love from the Australian sports fan. We expect them to perform at the Olympics and World Championships. Uh, you can't get a score or mention on Fox Sports News, not even in the bottom of the screen ticker. And SEN don't report the final scores during the season in the news, except when the grand final rolls around. Jane in Sandringham. Point taken, Jane, that's... Partly our fault, I get that, and partly the fault of Basketball Australia. They need to promote it more, perhaps, do more to promote it, and that's where having the NBL privately owned. I mean, Larry Kessman can buy as many billboards and promote it as much as he likes because it's his, he owns it, as opposed to the WNBL, which he doesn't. Always great to have your company for Dwayne's what is Thanksgiving Day in the US, and there hasn't exactly been a couple of thrillers for than to watch in the middle of uh, eating a little bit of turkey. Laurie Horish, ESPN NFL analyst, has been good enough to join me. Welcome to you, Laurie. Great to have you on. Great to be joining you. So earlier today I heard Tony Romo say the Dallas Cowboys can win the whole thing, which was interesting to me. Uh, Can they win the whole thing? You saw them beat the Commanders? They can win the whole thing. They're talented enough to do it, but no one's going to believe outside of the Dallas Cowboys and maybe some of their fans. No one's going to believe that they can until they beat a quality of opposition that we haven't seen so far this season. Look, the Cowboys have been in fantastic form since the bye. Dak Prescott is playing MVP tier football. He should be in that consideration. But the truth of the matter is that in their toughest opponents so far this season, up against the San Francisco 49ers in particular, and against the Philadelphia Eagles, they came up short in the Eagles. I think they were the better team on the paddock, but they did not come away with victory. And Ultimately, that is going to be huge in what defines you and your season and how people perceive you. They beat down on another poor team of the Washington Commanders. This was, whilst the score didn't blow out till late, the Cowboys held this one 
in their hands the entirety of it. I think if you're looking for things that truly matter from this game, other than a victory, you know, without getting overly hyped or overly hyperbolic about how good this Cowboys team is, but the most substantial things I think, think we take away is that Tony, Tony Pollard has had back-to-back good games, so they're getting that running game going. The offensive line looks like it's healthier, touch wood, and gelling. We're starting to see some more returning to form some of the pieces on that uh, side of the ball there. Brandon Cooks has another strong game, so we're seeing that that counter to CD Lamb through the air. Uh, it's not just CD Lamb, you know, 15 targets, as much as that uh, has proved a very productive strategy for the Cowboys when they've gone that way this season. Cooks having a nice showing. And you get out of this game, ideally, uh, hopefully with some health. But for the Cowboys, how we perceive them in terms of the hierarchy of the NFL, how legit a bona fide a Super Bowl contender they are, that's going to be defined over the next five weeks. The Eagles are going through their own kind of a, a real gauntlet of challenges in the contest where they're at with their schedule, and the Cowboys are about to enter theirs. They welcome Seattle, and I know the Seattle, Seattle Seahawks aren't putting up a great show against the Niners uh, right now, but they are a better opposition than Washington. They host Seattle next week. Then they host the Philadelphia Eagles. They go on the road after that uh, to play the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins. Then they welcome the Detroit Lions around the holiday season. Those five games are going to be a really good barometer for, okay, how, how mistake-free is Dak Prescott and that offense playing? How, how far ahead of the chains are they staying? Are they continuously effective and efficient, explosive on offense against better defenses? And on the defense side of things, we know this team, when they get a lead and they can really tear after the quarterback, they play with this kind of frenzied rallying for the ball that, that honestly looks like it's contagious between the different players um, in terms of how aggressive they are. But can they do that when the level steps up? We will see. Can't do anything but, but beat the, the opposition in front of you. But the opposition is going to shift over the next month. Yeah, so they smashed uh, the Commanders 45-10. to 10, And at the moment, San Francisco are smashing the Seahawks. So uh, Kansas City, Philadelphia, San Francisco, have they cleared out a little? That's a good thing. San Francisco, Kansas City, I would look at, yeah, the Philadelphia Eagles there and uh, the Baltimore Ravens for me are absolutely in this conversation as well. Um, I think the Baltimore Ravens for me have been the best team in the league uh, for the best part of the last month. Some jockeying at, at the top of the power rankings uh, with the Chiefs and the Eagles, uh, but I think the Ravens are the most complete team. So I think they're, they're certainly uh, with the Miami Dolphins with the ceiling that they have on offense. But when they're firing, they're another team that I think the, the Dolphins, the Bills and the Cowboys are going to get talked about similarly in in terms of who have you beaten, you know, show us that you can stand up strong uh, against the best opposition. The Bills, uh, ironically, despite the troubles they've had in, in recent weeks, they did go up against a team like the Dolphins and put an absolute hurting on them earlier in the season. But recently, bias matters. We look more, trying not to look too far back, um, you know, what was happening week one, week two, week three, and trying to take on what's happened in the last month of football. Uh, the Dolphins have got some help coming back on defense. The last few weeks, we've seen the likes of Jalen Ramsey reemerge, Damien Howard. Uh, Javon Holland on the back end with some of the talented stuff they have up front, talented defensive linemen. Um, and just with the Chiefs, look, you don't, you don't want to doubt Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, uh, really the, the three-pronged attackers and the quality of defense they have. But this issue with the wide receivers, you can get away with it against lesser teams, but it has been an issue since week one. The reason they lost to the Detroit Lions in the season opener was a couple of awful drops to Darius Tony. And then we see those big drops rear their ugly head going down to the Philadelphia Eagles uh, in Thursday night football. Um, uh, sorry, in uh, Monday night football this week. That has not changed. There is no hero coming through the door. We are past the trade deadline. I thought they should have been more aggressive before the trade deadline in getting a wide receiver. Maybe go after someone like a Mike Evans in Tampa. Don't waste any more of his great years down on a team that is not going very far. It didn't. 
is that going to prove that patience is fine, patience is a virtue, players are going to come along? Or are we going to see that maybe that was a little bit of personnel arrogance and that as good as those names that I mentioned before, Mahomes, Reed, Kelsey are, when you go up against the best of the best in the playoffs, are they going to come up short because the secondary ancillary help just never came for Patrick Mahomes? And before I let you go, Laurie, just mentioning Travis Kelsey, I noticed that on the USA Today website there was an article giving Travis Kelsey's stats, win-loss, how well he did, when Taylor Swift is at the games and when she's not. Um, it's come down to that. Look, that is, that's a pivotal talking point. It's one of the narratives of the season. Yes, he certainly seems to have performed better when Taylor Swift is in the building. My concern, more than whether Taylor Swift is in the building, if I was Travis Kelsey, is that we don't see Andy Reid lose his call too often, particularly the star players. Anytime you're getting first named by your head coach, if you watch the, the call, or if you watch the game and see the sideline shot there of Andy Reid after a drop from Travis Kelsey, he called him Kelsey a couple of times as he got closer. He grumbled Travis at him. Very much when you get that first name from your parent uh, in that certain tone, we all went through that. We all know what that felt like. Uh, that's the energy that he was dealing with there. So, yes, uh, Taylor Swift in the building, maybe that helped. But I think just some tightening up of some things, uh, some little details from a player that has been exemplary throughout his career a fumble and a couple of key drops there uh, and key balls not connecting, completions not connecting with Patrick Mahomes might be more pressing. Laurie, great to have you on. Comprehensive there. Really appreciate your time. San Francisco lead uh, Seattle 24-3 at the moment and it's just ticked to halftime. Laurie Horish, ESPN NFL reporter. Catch all the Thanksgiving weekend NFL action on ESPN live on KO and on Foxtel. Ryan and Chilton, thanks for holding. Ryan, welcome to you. Oh, g'day, Dwayne. Happy Friday. And to you. Uh, Dwayne, two points, please. First one, um, unofficial media, but the expansion of the NBL teams and the cooperation of the, of the uh, Northern Territory government, I'd love to have an NBL team in Darwin, Dwayne. Yes, please. Do you promise, Larry? <laughs> well, I'm not sure what stadium they've got, but uh, Larry, normally if you build it, we might come. That's the, the agenda for Larry, so I'm not sure what they've got up there, but it would be nice. What else have you got, Ryan? Uh, if I may, Dwayne, on Wednesday we had the WNBL, Southside Flyers versus Perth Lynx, marquee matchup, Lauren Jackson versus Annalee Maley going at each other, mostly throughout um, all of the second, the third and the fourth. Just goosebumps, Dwayne. It was fantastic, and it was good to see Southside um, come back from roughly 20 down. Great experience. Good on you, Ryan. Great to have a bit of love for the WNBL. Really appreciate you jumping on. We've got a prize for you. 18 holes of golf for you and a mate with a cart. Get 18 holes of golf for two with drinks and a cart midweek for just $99. Visit clubmandalay.com.au. Good to give the WNBL a little bit of love. Manus Labashan is going to join us in the next hour as will Joel Selwood for Maccas. 30 days, 30 deals at Maccas. Grab a new deal every day of November only on the My Maccas app. So a big hour still to come. Stick around. You with Dwayne's World. A couple of texts on the way. Uh, Alan firing back at that text uh, talking about the Swans having more success than most clubs. We had to wait 72 years to win in 2005. Go the Bloods. That's from Alan. Always great to have your company for Dwayne's World. Another big hour to come. Joel Selwood not far away from joining us. Marnus Labashay not far away from joining us. Uh, in fact, both uh, are about 10 or 15 minutes away. Marnus then Joel. 
So a couple of your calls right now if you want to jump on. Maybe a little lost in the wash if you like. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. if you'd like to join me. A couple of texts that didn't want to get lost in the wash, but there's been a bit of talk about the... Academy picks and the draft. So one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Just to finish that off, uh, the problem with the academy picks is the compensation payments. Picks inside the top ten to fifteen are worth far more than the compensation suggests. And Stephen Surrey Hills makes a good point on that. That's exactly what we've been talking about for the last couple of days. Should they have to pay more for those picks? But uh, it's hard to dismantle it. Get rid of the father son would be huge. And Carlton fans certainly don't want to get rid of it right now with the two Camparelli boys not far away. Um, Daryl in Central Coast has given us a call about the WBBL. Welcome to you, Daryl. Yeah, good afternoon. Um, just on the back of that other gentleman talking about the uh, women's basketball, um, the coverage of the WBBL really struggles. The cricket's good, I enjoy that, but when they flick between Channel 7 and Fox, and I don't think the commentators actually are at the game, so they're calling it like half a second, a second after it actually happens. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me they're not at the game, Daryl. It's a cost-cutting exercise to make sure that the broadcast probably can get to air. But, um, yeah, I, I sympathise with you, and it is harder for a commentator to call off the screen, especially with cricket, because if they hit a long ball, um, it's out of their camera shot, so they don't necessarily know whether it's six or it's going to land inside the field of play. Um, so you're right. Um, now, the coverage has been pretty good, I've seen, and I have watched a little bit of it, but you know that's the, the part about it. How much have you watched? You probably sound like you've watched a hell of a lot more than I. Maybe I need to watch a little bit more of it and maybe watch a little bit more WNBL. Uh, interestingly enough, just off the back of that, I think the AFL could probably have done a bit more to promote the AFLW prelim finals this weekend. I mean, a couple of huge prelim finals. One of them Saturday night. I mean, you're going to watch Saturday night's prime time Saturday night, the Brisbane-Geelong game. So, I mean, they... Surely they're going to get a good TV crowd for that. But uh, what else are you watching? Nine six nine hundred six nine three this weekend. Nick in Tasmania, are you there, Nick? Yeah. Fire away, Nick. What have you got for us? I wanted to talk about the draft academies, and I was just wondering yep. whether the northern guys get a twenty percent discount on their um, points value, and whether sorry, what was that? Taking that. Wanted to. I wondered whether the Northern Academies get the twenty percent draft discount. They do. Yes, they do. Yeah. So scaling that back on, you know, the second bid or the or the first round bids or something like that. Surely that can be an intermediary step um, to scale it back a little bit once they get more academy players coming through. Yeah, I think you're probably right. The discount may be the first thing that needs to go, Nick, so I'm probably with you on that. But hopefully Tasmania have a heap of kids that are drafted into Tasmania's team and there's not a cap on them as well. Hey, great to have your call, Nick. Billy and Epping, I'll come to you. We need a quick break. Marnus Labashan is going to join us straight after the break as well and your call. Thanks to Tyre Power. Holiday getaway sale on now at Tyre Power. Get up to $200 off the Michelin Pilot Sport range. Tyre Power, number one. In the tyres draft. Billy, I'll get to you before the break in Barnes Slavish showing you there, Billy. Yeah, g'day, Dino. Um, I just want to know um, what do you think the pass mark is to North Melbourne um, in the coming year, and when's a realistic time for us to be playing finals, do you think? Um, oh, two years. Billy is the time that you would probably think that it's possible. I don't think it's possible next year, but if you're a player, You've got to aim for that, Billy. You can't write that off. 
I mean, Collingwood did jump. Teams have jumped 15, 16 spots on the ladder before. I can't see uh, North doing it. It's not like North had a really good season the year before. They were terrible. They've been terrible for a while. So I wouldn't be expecting finals next year, Billy, but I'd be aiming. I'd be hoping they're at least pushing for finals the year after. How long are you giving them, Bill? I don't know. I, I could see us winning at least six games next year, but from, from um, yeah, maybe 2025, 2026, hopefully, hopefully we're pushing the finals at least. Yeah, there's definitely going to be a pass mark that is higher. I mean, no one, you wouldn't want to finish last, Billy. That's the issue, but someone's going to finish last. Yeah, I think there'd be a big problem if we finish last, uh, especially with the AFL, to be honest. Yeah, and the the West Coast Eagles are going to struggle again next year, so there's a couple of teams like that. But uh, there's a lot of teams that are down that bottom end that believe they're going to improve. Uh, pass mark? Yeah, whether it's seven games or six games or whether it's rising two spots on the ladder, that's the hard part. It's just hard to know who they're going to jump on the ladder, North Melbourne, even though I'm hoping, like everybody else, to have a, a better season. Uh, hold the line, Billy. We've got something for you. 18 holes of golf for you with a mate. And a cart, get 18 holes of golf for two with drinks and a cart midweek for just $99. Visit clubmandalay.com.au. Take a couple of calls, one three hundred seven three six seven three six for a little bit of lost in the wash, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. that open line. Brought to us by Werribee Kia. Werribee Kia, awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia, where the customer comes first. And you can drop down and see the team at Werribee Kia. David, Janan, Aid, Jim, the whole team, they'd love to see you down at Werribee Kia. Always great to have your company for Dwayne's World. Marnus Labashay not far away from joining us. Uh, just in reaction to a previous caller about North Melbourne and the pass mark next year. So North Melbourne, three wins this last season gone. West Coast, three wins this last season gone. Above them, Hawthorne was seven wins. So you're going to have to, on that measure, win more than seven to get to, you know, third last, fourth last. And it's a, it's tough because Hawthorne, you would think, would improve a bit from their seven wins. Gold Coast finished 15th. So Gold Coast 15th, Hawthorne 16th, North 17th, West Coast 18th. And the Gold Coast won nine games. So it was a fairly even season all the way down to about 15th or even 16th, if you like, given Hawthorne uh, won some games. A lot of people didn't think they would, even though they won less games this year, just gone than the previous year. Uh, Fremantle, Richmond, who's you go up the ladder, Geelong. There's a lot of teams outside the eight that think they're going to improve next year. So it is going to be tough for North Melbourne to improve by ladder position. Let's hope they at least improve by wins and get that seventh or eighth win, perhaps. Um, in the PGA, the Australian PGA in Queensland, uh, it's uh, it's a pretty good leaderboard if you're an Aussie looking on at this at the moment. The conditions are absolutely perfect. And Min Woo Lee Leads at 10 under after 7 today in the second round. Uh, Adam Scott's up to 9 under after 8, so really challenging for the lead. Lucas Herbert just behind them after a 68 today with an 8 under round. That's the leaderboard in the Australian PGA. Uh, Minwoo Lee through 7 holes today so far. Uh, a couple of texts that have come through as well. Dwayne, the Swans have been in 7 grand finals in the past 25 years. I think it's more than any other club. That's my response to the Swans caller. It's, it ain't our fault they lost five of them, Phil and Abbotsford, and that's the other issue. And I mentioned earlier on, I mean, the Swans have been fantastic. They rarely ever miss the eight. They're competitive every year. But at least they're not winning, you know, three flags in a row, etc. It's always going to be tough for those teams coming down to Victoria to have to play in the grand final here. 
hell of a lot easier if you're playing the West Coast in a grand final here. And Dwayne, if the West Coast are terrible next year, what are the odds of asking them, asking the AFL for assistance? Well, that could actually happen. They could do that next year, but whether it falls on deaf ears, it depends on how bad a season, how terrible, terrible is. Jim, thanks for your text. By the way, India won last night's opening T20 against Australia by eight wickets. It was a bit closer than that. Australia posted three for 208 from their 20 overs. Josh Inglis making 110. India ran down the total with one ball remaining. It was an absolute thriller. Uh, it went right down to the last ball, essentially, and uh, it was a fantastic watch for those who took the time to stay up and watch it. Manus Labashain not far away from joining us. Joel Selwood also not far away from joining us as well. So looking forward to having a chat to Joel, who had the grandstand named after him at GMHBA Stadium today. What an honour that is. In fact, I think Joel might join us first before Marnus Labashane is on the line now. Welcome to you, Joel, and congratulations. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, Dwayne, thank you very much. I didn't think I'd be ever joining you to talk about this anyway, but uh, thanks for having me on. Well, let's not play it down. So the club was formed in 1859, second oldest sporting club in Australia, one of the oldest sporting clubs in the world. Biggest grandstand they have has your name on it. I mean, the Ablets have a terrace, Polly Farmer a gate. You and Reg Hickey represent the truth, I think, in the history of eras. I'm not sure what your response to that is, but I think it's warranted, and I, I can't wait. And I've been there. I drive past it every day, but I can't wait for the opening of it. Joel, how does it feel? Well, it feels it's quite strange, to be honest. Like Not in my wildest dreams did I ever think that it uh, would ever play out like this. Like, I dreamt of playing for the Cats because I was a junior supporter growing up. But um, when I did play at the ground, Dwayne, I would look up and see the premiership stand and just wanted to keep building on that. And um, It never had any intentions to have a stand named after me. So I'm actually I'm blown away, to be honest, by it's, uh, the people recognising that maybe it should be named in my honour. So the Stadium Trust, Steve Hocking, how did it unfold? Yeah, so it comes from the trust. Um, so Cadenia Park Trust, uh, they made contact with the footy club. And then from there, just to see if they would encourage um, for what they were going to put forward to the state government. And from there, I'm not really sure how it plays out. But yeah, it's uh, a little secret that uh, there's a few people that have been keeping for a while. And it's hard for you because you're kind of still in the middle of it, even though you're a year removed from actually playing the game, but it's not just what you did as a player, Joel, your kicks, marks and handballs and premierships. It's your leadership overall and the human being you are. I hope you understand that. Oh, that's probably part, yeah. I mean, you, you do. I mean, I grew up in Bendigo. I know what a community means to a, a place. Um, and the Geelong Footy Club is a no better example of that. Like, we were only the footy club we were because of the people that would go through those gates. And uh, I, got, I had a good understanding of it from an early age. Um, and then we used it to our advantage. There's, uh, as you do know, and people around Australia, that there is only a slight little pocket that Geelong gives away to opposition fans. But um, each year we, we understand that it's our, ours to own and make sure that we do a good job whilst we're there. But in the community, we feel like that that's uh, a place where we can say thank you back. I'll go back a little bit further than you. The town and the club was cooked. I mean, the club was in debt. The town was, or well, Pyramid collapsed, Ford closed. The foreshore was yep. an algae pit. And now, three decades of success, it's a place you want to live in. Joel, the footy club 
has a big say in the vibe of the city and the, the vibrancy and the success of the city. Yeah, and uh, you say all that. I think we're, we're very lucky and fortunate to live in an era of Frank Costa, to be honest, more than anything else, the heartbeat of the town and place, um, but gave us all a direction that we should follow in. And, um, you know, I'm just a benefit of, of being under his guidance. And, and then from there, the flow-on effect that that caused was just, you know, amazing and what it has done to the place now. So it was once hard to bring players down to Geelong. Um, you know, and now it's a bit easier. It's, it may not stay like that, but the guys there have a duty of care now to make sure it is the case. So your leadership elements, Joel, that have been a big part of the reasoning behind this and what you've brought to the club and your greatness, how did you learn about Geelong? Was it Frank Costa? How did it all unfold? Brian Cook was a big part of it as well. Well, it was, it was all that, but what I can probably thank my lucky stars is that, you know, I was captain at 23, but the club were also patient with me in learning to do, but to become a good captain in my own time. So not putting that much pressure on me and, and by saying that it was, you know, be the best captain come game day, which was a sad day we used to call. So, um, and then around that, it was just, I would keep growing um, and find out different ways to do things along the way. And um, I'm fortunate that I was at a footy club that was winning away and um, had a lot of good leaders around me. And, I think, you know, when my name is up on the stand, I hope that the players that I played with also feel a bit that they had something to do with it too because it was uh, well and truly the case. It's a fantastic grandstand. It looks great, Joel. It's big. It's beautiful. I went in there probably about three months ago, um, Dwayne, and it, it actually is. And it, it's quite. It's going to be quite unique. Um, you know, Adelaide has a hill. Geelong's still going to have a standing room there at the... Uh, at the ground which is just unique to any other ground that I know of um, that can hold 40,000 people Um, and then some of the areas you know we're talking we're looking after the cricket um, and also um, in in new change rooms that well and you know well and truly dated now so um, yeah it's going to be a state-of-the-art stadium. So 40,000 capacity it'll be ready for round one won't it? Yeah, it will be. Yep, no, well and truly. Uh, looking uh, from what I understand um, through talks this week, that it will be ready in the new year. And finals, Joel, 40,000, that's capacity enough to post a final or two? Yeah, like you never know. I think if the right matchup comes, then you're probably maybe able to, to sort of fight that fight. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, you know, the players, to be honest, more than anything else, want to play at the biggest stadiums. And, and that's the MCG for the next, I think, 25-odd years. You would know better than me, Dwayne. But um, the challenge that maybe it might it might need to hold a final one day, it now has the ability to do that. So do you believe that the big games against Melbourne-based teams for finals do need to be hosted at the MCG to get the crowd in? But if it's a smaller final, you have the right to host it? Well, yeah, I'm probably speaking on behalf of if you've got three of the biggest Melbourne teams playing at the MCG in the one weekend, maybe it's hard to have four, a fourth team down there and playing in a game. You might have to bring a game down to Geelong. So, um, yeah, that's for smarter people than me to worry about. <laughs> Just thought I'd see if you wanted to weigh in. Um, 
Well, let me ask you this one. Are you, are you coaching Bam? What are you going to do next year? You've had a year out, try and work out what you'd like to do? Yeah, I love the game. I think you'll see me back in the AFL circles at some point. I'm not exactly sure where that is just yet. Um, but uh, I, will, I will look forward to getting back into it in the not-too-distant future. And your club, well, Scotty, how long? Is there such a thing as too long? It looks like he's as settled right now and the, the team is as settled behind him as ever. Yeah, I think he's re-energised, to be honest, with the challenge that they got in front of him um, and and knowing the individual too um, and bringing this group through is really important to him too. So um, I, I don't want to speak on behalf of him, but he'll know when his time's up and uh, it's someone else's turn. And do you want to be in footy or just a, a coach in footy or you know, what have you enjoyed most about the last year? You've had a big influence on a lot of people that you've spoken to as a mentor. Is that the direction that you've enjoyed most? Oh, I do. I, I, I love the coaching side of it. I love bringing young players in when I was at the footy club. But I also like the operations and the administration of uh, setting up a program and you know trying to get the best out of a, a side and making sure that you're trying to get that peak performance at the right time. So all challenging. Um, where it will land, we'll have to wait and see. And you're confident that the Cats can defy gravity? Missed the eight, but Steve Hocking and, well, Cookie's always said it, we aim for top four every year. How hard is defying gravity? Have they got the squad to be able to do it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, but there's also probably another 12 sides that are saying that too. So um, got to start the year better than what they did last year. Uh, so that, that starts with a really strong pre-season. They haven't started this early for a long time. So um, they'll get a good run at it. And then just uh, take on what's in front of them. Uh, top four, you know, that's the challenge. Um, you've got to try and sit in that bracket to really have a good shot at it. Is there a giant headband at the top of the, start, the, the grandstand? What is there? Have you seen how big your sign is? Uh, uh, you... No, no, I'm not sure. It's still obviously getting finished at the moment. But uh, it would be nice to leave that behind um, and move <laughs> on and... Uh, yeah, I mean, nothing's forever, but, I'm, yeah, I'm very grateful for the club and uh, the trust to uh, have it in my name for a period of time. Well, it was the iconic way you played as well, Joel, the way you attacked the ball in the contest, and I think that's uh, a symbol of that, the headband. It, uh, it's one of those things that people will remember, even though there's a whole lot more to remember. Great to have you, Joel. Congratulations on the honour. Something I think that is well-deserved. As I mentioned, second-oldest sporting club in Australia, and the biggest grandstand at their local venue is the Joel Selwood stand. They're going to be kicking to the Joel Selwood end for 100 years plus, Joel. Yeah, well, maybe. I look forward to the big Tomahawk sending a few through there this year. <laughs> uh, they'll find some sort of grandstand for him to be named after as well. Joel, great to have you. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Dwayne. Cheers. Joel Selwood, thanks to Macca's 30 Days, 30 Deals. Grab a new deal every day of November only on the My. Macca's app. Keep your texts coming through. I read a heap of those out. Been a few come through in the last four or five minutes. Keep them coming. 0433 98 11 16 on the 40 Winks Temper text. 40 Winks and Temper. T E M P U R Temper. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, serious about sleep. Tony and Belfield's called immediately. Welcome to you, Tony. Hey, since we're talking about uh, the new naming of stands and, and pavilions at the uh, new Cats Ground. I want to congratulate Russell Merriman for finally getting uh, the kudos he deserves for his handful of games with a balcony named after him. Was he one of your old teammates, Fine? 
He was one of mine. Uh, what's the cricket connotation to the Merriman stand, which looks out onto the cricket venue? Oh, you're telling me it's not Russell Merriman? <laughs> well, I don't think so, Tony. But if someone does know the Merriman of Merriman stand fame, given it's overlooking the cricket ground and that whole new brilliant cricket complex that they've got down at that end of the the huge open space as well with lawn that looks fantastic. No, I don't think so, Tony, but I appreciate your call. By all means, correct me on the text, 0433981116. Two for victory for Australia. Glenn Maxwell to see his first ball. Siraj bowls to him. Maxwell clobbers a ball out to square leg. A dive on the boundary to save it. They'll come back for a second, and Australia has won the World Cup. A sixth championship victory, and surely none greater than this. In the most partisan, intimidating environment that this tournament has ever seen, Australia has quashed all of India in one night. Biggest moment in Australian sport for the year, and arguably the biggest moment in Australian cricket ever. And so many texts and calls came through after that victory, saying that it was for their Manus Labuschagne, one of the stars of the show, Australian World Cup winning batter who was out there with Glenn Maxwell when those crucial final runs were hit. Part of that match-winning partnership with Travis Head has been good enough to give us some of his time. 58 from 110 deliveries, and it was iconic. Uh, Manus, great to have you on. Thanks for joining me. No, thank you. Thank you for having me, guys. It's, um, it's great, to, great to have a chat. You've had a little bit of time for the dust to settle. How do you look back on it now? Um, oh, I mean, there hasn't been too much time, but I mean, it, it's certainly um, one of my great memories, um, probably one of my greatest memories so far um, since playing for Australia. I think what we achieved there um, in India against the odds, against um, everything uh, has just been, yeah, just amazing, I think is the only way I can describe it. So the team aspect first, it was phenomenal. You lost your first two games. Was there a and you were sort of on the ropes a couple of times. Uh, from a team aspect, firstly, were you ever worried? Did you know you'd get it together, you guys? Uh, I mean, we knew our capability. I certainly uh, I certainly know that. We knew what we were capable of and uh, what we were able to do. Uh, but, I mean, obviously, World Cup, it's a knockout tournament. So when you lose two on the bounce and you have um, staring down the barrel of a, um, um, a third loss against Sri Lanka, you know, for 58, um, you know, they're, they're the moments that we, you know, we just sort of stood up in that moment and won that first game. And I think that really relaxed the boys and then, you know, really opened up the tournament from there for us and we were able to really flourish from there. And yourself, you weren't in the original squad, so you really had to fight your way to get in. And uh, once you got the opportunity to fight, you fought so hard, you ended up being the star of the show with Travis Head. It was phenomenal. Uh, the fight, talk us through that. Yeah, I think, um, you know, like I said, when I got dropped from the team, I said to the selectors, I still think I'm the man for the job batting at four and five. And, and I said to them, you know, I completely understand that I'm not in the squad and I completely understand that um, I haven't been good enough over the last um, year. Um, and, but I was very confident in my ability once um, I got into, you know, playing back-to-back ODI cricket and playing a lot of one-day cricket that I'll be able to get the rhythm and the feel of the game and um, uh, you know luckily for myself that I had some opportunities to open up and you know somehow played um, 19 straight games in a row so 
um, yeah, it's it, it truly, you know, the way it unfolded it is truly a miracle how it all uh, how it all unfolded from um, from where I started. That's for sure. Yeah, miracle from your words, and I accept that 100. percent But the amount of work you put in, did I mean you probably can't hit balls any more than you hit balls. You and Steve Smith hit balls. So how did you keep your confidence up, and how how did you work your way back into the kind of form that we saw come the end of it? Um, I just felt like I was batting really well, you know, from South Africa leading into the World Cup. And then in the World Cup, I probably had to navigate a few different scenarios that, you know, probably didn't let me play as freely as I did, especially with those two losses early on. Um, And I think, like, but I felt like the whole time I was ready, I was playing really well. Um, I didn't feel like I was, um, yeah, and I felt like when the moment was right, I was going to capitalise. And you know, lucky enough, um, the final was um, was the opportunity to build a partnership with Travis and uh, win the World Cup. Did you feel the pressure at all from the Indian crowd? I mean, ninety thousand plus. It was all blue, or is that the kind of thing that Australians seem to thrive on in the world of cricket? And uh, you almost use it to your advantage, even though most would have believed it would have been a disadvantage. Yeah, I think you're yeah, spot on. I think it's it's one of those moments where you know once it, it's more the nerves before you bat. I've always found it's not it's not once you get out there and you're playing, um, you know you're not nervous. You're just out there. You're just playing, but it's waiting to bat and you see the ball. You know, especially when Travis is going gun ho from ball one, just plays and misses, and then he absolutely creams one, and then you know so you're on the edge of your seat. And I'm I'm a nervous cricket watcher at the best of times. Um, so, yeah, I think then, you know, that that part's nervous. But once you get out there and you're actually just playing, I think you, you sort of just settle back and you're comfortable and you just, you know, you just go out there and play. You did come in at three for 47, so the pressure was on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, like I said, it was probably a match made in heaven, Travis and I, in that scenario. Him at one end putting pressure on the bowlers and me at the other end, just absorbing the pressure and just navigating that um, scenario. Um, I think that was, the, you know, a, a really good match. We were able to sort of, you know, get England from both sides. They needed wickets and we were able to starve them off that. And Travis was, a, was at the other end and putting um, pressure and uh, on the bowlers. And you never really, I mean, we talk about this all the time, but you in some ways never have to talk again. You bat has done the talking for you in the biggest moment in Australian cricket. So there must be an enormous amount of satisfaction in that. Yeah, I, th- I think there's definitely some personal satisfaction, especially with, you know, where, where, where my journey started at the start of this World Cup and, um, and yeah, on, on the biggest stage, you know, being able to just um, build a partnership there with Travis and, and see Australia home. I think that was one of the most satisfying things. We didn't let them in again. You know, they had a sniff early and then we sort of put them to bed. And I think that's what's really pleasing. You know, a lot of times in those sort of chases, all of a sudden you need 60 or 70 and you lose a couple of wickets and all of a sudden then the pressure gets up again. And we were sort of able to keep them at bay um, uh, apart from that sort of early stage uh, where they got... Go on. No, 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 where they got the early wickets. And Pat Cummins, his captaincy overall and the way he's led this team... From the outset, has been amazing, but on the day itself, he seemed to pull all the right strings. Yeah, I think that was um, certainly Pat's best day. Um, 
uh, with the ball as well. I think I've never seen um, someone bowl, you know, the sequencing with his deliveries, bowling the right balls at the right time um, like he did. Um, I haven't seen, you know, that from a middle overs bowler, a pace bowler, especially in a long time. And, you know, a lot of credit's got to go to him. And tactically, I think Andrew McDonald and, um, you know, our, our analyst and, and, and Pat really got it right with with their tactical moves at the toss firstly, but then also... Um, with navigating, you know, the different scenarios um, and putting pressure on the Indian batters to get those early wickets. And I think our thought was when we went in, we wanted them five down at 30, and that's exactly what they did. And, you know, the bowlers did a fantastic job, and Pat uh, led from the front there. So you were under immense pressure and delivered big time on the biggest stage. Pat Cummins, under immense pressure, delivered big time on the biggest stage. Andrew McDonald's coaching, how... How big is it for him under the pressure he was under coming into? Well, some boxes tick now when you think you retain the Ashes, um, you won the World Test Championship, and you just won this thing. Uh, I mean, his coaching record and his coaching um, speaks for itself. I think it's not, um, you know, there's no never doubt in us. I think he's created such a great environment. Him and Pat work really well together. And I think from... From a team perspective, you know, we obviously rate him very highly and respect him very highly, his ability and his job as a, as a player, uh, as a coach. Um, and I think this is just, you know, the icing on the cake really for, for someone like him and for our whole team, you know, all the work, all the time spent away this year. I think it's almost been seven or six months spent away from home this uh, this year um, and we haven't even started our home summer yet. And, and to be able to sort of navigate that, firstly, being away from home and then also... You know, like you said, win the Ashes, win the Ashes, win um, the World Test Championship, and now win the World Cup in India um, against India in the final. Yeah, just just amazing, really. How much does chemistry play a part then, Manus? Um, oh, it certainly does. I think you know, having a good team environment, having a nice relaxed um, environment, I think certainly um, is what it's all about, especially in tournament play. Uh, when you're spending, like you said, seven or eight months together, I think you need that. And if you don't have that, I think um, it makes it really difficult to be on tour for so long. Do you think that's the way of the future, putting more trust in the players, making it more relaxed, uh, having you enjoy every moment rather than put pressure on every moment? Um, I think I think for, for our group at the stage we're at in our, in our, in our careers and with the senior players, it, it's the perfect mix. But I think there's different times that different things might be necessary, you know. Um, once this team transitions into a bit of a younger group, um, you know, guys don't know their games as well as the likes of Steve Smith and David Warner, you know, Glenn Maxwell and those, you know, those type of players. So um, when that transition happens, you know, that's where coaches and, and, and staff, um, and, and that's what they are, they're adaptable and, and they'll find a way to then uh, navigate with the, the new group. And there seems like a more of a sharing of family than ever before. I know how important it is for you as well. Sorry, say that again. It seems like there's more of a sharing of these moments with family as well, as if it's a whole family, your partners, your children. You've mentioned your faith. I mean, it's all wrapped up in this. It's the new way. Yeah, I think it's hard not to do the journey with your family. It means so much. They sacrifice so much being, you know, away from us so to share the journey and to share the experiences with them is is utterly important and I think um, 
yeah, I can't really uh, put words to what it means to to have my family such a big part of my my cricket career. And you're about to dominate the summer. You're in that good a form, Marnus. Uh, you're looking forward to it. Uh, you got to get yourself ready. That's it. I can't wait. I can't wait for for a bit of Test cricket. And, um, you know, getting starting this summer off well, and and then, yeah, like you said, um, haven't really soaked in that there's uh, the summer's just around the corner. So. So what's on your agenda? You've got BBL still as well. Yeah, there, there's BBL, there's Shield cricket, there's a few things before that test summer starts. So we'll see how everything unfolds and 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 and, and how we're going. But um, yeah, like I said, um, there's a lot of cricket to to be played um, before the test summer as well. So yeah, it's going to be good. But no such thing as too much cricket for you. You seem like you love it. You can't wait to get a bat in your hand every day. That's it. No, you got you got to make sure you stay nice and fresh mentally and physically. And I feel like uh, I'm in pretty good, um, pretty good, pretty good condition. Sorry, my daughter's just waving at me. Um, pretty good condition uh, and feeling really good. And 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 you know, being back with a family uh, refreshes you pretty quickly. And you know, yeah, pretty nice to see uh, your daughter's face when you rock up at the airport. So that brings a lot of joy to you. And um, uh, yeah, so it's very exciting to, to sort of be home and be able to spend some time with him. Yeah, family's the most important thing, Marnus. I'll let you get back to yours. Uh, your daughter's looking at you. Enough of me, more of her. Thanks for your time. Congratulations again. Um, you've become one of the icons of Australian sport with your performance on the biggest stage, and uh, we all love you for it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Marnus Labashane joining us, and you can catch every ball of the upcoming summer of cricket across the SEN network. The BBL starts December 7th. The first test starts December 14th. Marnus Labuschagne having a chat to us after an amazing performance, uh, coming in when Australia were on the ropes a bit, 58 from 110 balls, and sharing that partnership with Travis Head, who uh, 137 from 127 balls. It's something that we will talk about for quite a long time to come. Been an absolute pleasure to have a chat to Joel Silver and for Marnus Labuschagne. Keep your texts coming through, quite a few coming through on Marnus Labuschagne. I really appreciate how many people have taken the time to send through a text today. Um, yeah, Marnus would be the only cricketer in history to use a World Cup final as a net session. He's certainly got himself ready for the summer of cricket coming, so I can't wait to be part of that and part of SEN's coverage of the test summer.